0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you from KRCB-FM and Percussion Discussion. This is the show that focuses on drummers and percussionists and all the instruments of rhythm that move every genre of music along. My name is Jim Laveroni, and I'll be your host for the next two hours of this special evening. Tonight, I'll be playing a pre-recorded interview with Will Clippman, percussionist from Arizona. Will Clipman began playing his father's drums and his mother's piano at the age of three. He played his first professional gig at 14 and has since then mastered a pan-global palette of over 100 percussion instruments in addition to the traditional drum set. Will is a six-time Grammy nominee, a three-time Native American Music Award winner, A Canadian Aboriginal Music Award winner, a New Age Reporter Music Award winner, and a two-time Tammy Award winner. And has been inducted into the Tucson Musician's Museum for his contributions to the musical community in his hometown. Will has recorded over 60 albums, including over 30 for Canyon Records, where he is regarded as the house percussionist. In addition to his solo work, Will performs with R. Carlos Nakai, William Eaton, and many other internationally acclaimed artists. Will's solo CD, Pathfinder, earned a Grammy nomination for Best New Age Album. His Planet of Percussion performance and workshop provides a hands-on tour of world music, rhythm, and polyrhythm. A poet since the age of six, Will has published a book of his original poetry entitled Doglight, and his work has appeared in numerous anthologies and literary journals. Will is also an accomplished mask maker and storyteller. His Myths and Mask performance and workshop combines his original mask art, mythopoetic storytelling, and multicultural world music and is now available as a DVD. Interspersed with Will's comments will be several examples of his work as a soloist, soloist or in collaboration with other artists. So, I invite you to sit back, relax on this Thanksgiving evening and enjoy the talent of Will Klipman here on percussion discussion. You began to play the drums and piano At the very early age of three, your first professional gig at 14 and have, during your lifetime, mastered over 100 percussion instruments in addition to the traditional drum kit. It sounds as if you were literally born to do what you do and that drumming is as natural to you as breathing.
1: I believe I was, and I think that's true. I come from a long line of drummers, uh, beginning with my father and stretching back into antiquity, actually, so uh, I would agree with with your last statement completely.
0: All these nominations, you've been nominated six times for a Grammy, you're a three-time Native American Music Award winner, Canadian Aboriginal Award winner, a New Age Reporter Music Award winner, two-time Tammy Award winner. And you've been inducted into the Tucson Musicians Museum for your musical contributions in your hometown. So, when you began this journey with the drums, did you ever imagine that you would be the recipient of such accolades? And how important is this recognition to you?
1: Well, I never imagined it. Uh, at the age of three, it was for me, it was.
0: You said that uh, that you recognized that you could make a living at that. Uh, what? How old were you when you recognized this? And and was this the kind of living that uh, that you imagined it to be? Now you're traveling. You're 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 doing a lot of things that to some people would be intrusive. But is 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 it everything you've ever dreamed it would be?
1: Well, that's a great question. The the light bulb first went on when I was 14, and I played my first paying gig. Uh, I I remember as if it were yesterday that I made $2.37, and at the age of 14, back in the 60s, that that was a lot of money. I could put gas in the car, buy a pack of smokes, and uh, not that I should have been doing any of those things at 14, mind you, but it was... (laughs) the idea that anyone would pay me to play music was uh, quite a revelation. And I sort of, you know, the seed was planted at that point. Um, It was many years later that I actually started paying the bills Uh and and making a, a more substantial living doing music. And there was a lot of lean times in between where I, you know, sort of, Stared at myself in in the mirror and asked myself what what I thought I was doing. Um, the, for the last quarter century or so, it's been a dream come true. I've played all over the world. I've got gotten to record and perform with phenomenal, world class musicians in just about every genre of music you can think of, and and I actually uh, you know live quite comfortably by virtue of my, my art, my, my creativity. So, you know, I sort of, I sort of kiss the ground every morning and just give thanks for the opportunity to do it one more day. Donald Fagan, co-founder of Steely Dan, has a new memoir out called Eminent Hipsters. And he'll be here to talk about growing up in North Jersey and meeting his Steely Dan partner, Walter Becker, at Bard College, and much more. I'm David Dye, also another performance from Toronto with Ron
0: Sexsmith. They're both coming up on the next World Cafe. World Cafe. Here on KRCB-FM, the new 91. Well, we're focusing on Will Clipman this evening, percussionist par excellence from Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. And uh, Will is the house percussionist for Canyon Records. In that last set, you heard several great tunes, Sonora Nights, 13th Moon, Barefoot, Chola, and the last one was Shape Shifter. So we're going to continue with Will's interview with me on the telephone here in the studio uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, Will was simply marvelous to talk with. Um, In that last set, he actually got cut off during one of the questions. I'm not sure what happened with the interview. But we're going to play that section again. It has to do with the nominations and the accolades that he's gotten over uh, his years As a performer, we're also going to play a little bit about, you're going to hear a little bit about whether or not he still plays the traditional drum kit. And since he does so much, he is a mask maker, a percussionist, a teacher, an educator, a lecturer. He does so much, I asked him what role does he like best and then what gig possibly stands out for him. So, Will Clipman, percussionist. From Arizona, here on Percussion Discussion. All these nominations, you've been nominated six times for a Grammy. You're a three-time Native American Music Award winner, Canadian Aboriginal Award winner, a New Age Reporter Music Award winner, two-time Tammy Award winner, and you've been inducted into the Tucson Musicians Museum for your musical contributions in your hometown. So when you began this journey with the drums, did you ever imagine that you would be the recipient of such accolades? And how important is this recognition to you?
1: Well, I never imagined it uh, at the age of three. It was, for me, it was all about the vibration of the drum and the way that made me feel viscerally and emotionally and intuitively it was only much, much later that it it occurred to me that I could actually have a career doing this and make a living doing it. And even later than that, that the awards started to manifest themselves. So winning an award is never my intention when I perform or record. But that said, it's wonderful to have your work recognized by your peers and your audience's at that level, so I'm really grateful for that, and I'm always excited about it, and I'm looking forward to the next one. We, we, our Carlos and I have a new record uh, on the ballot for a Grammy nomination as we speak, and I'm I'm looking forward to that being number seven if the stars align. So it's it's always appreciated and always very exciting.
0: Do you still play the the traditional drum kit.
1: Oh sure, I, I play every day. Um, most of my gigs these days call for the more exotic world percussion that I've added to my palette since starting on drum kit low these many years ago. But I, I have it set up in my studio all the time, and and I do get to play it uh, in the in the recording studio and on stage from time to time. I also, when I'm touring with certain ensembles, I end up backlining a drum kit simply because it's not practical to take all my large ethnic drums on, on planes all the time. Uh, and I play, so I play the traditional drum kit in a very non-traditional way in those settings using brushes and mallets and hot rods and maybe putting a djembe in place of the snare drum and so on to create more of a pan-global feel than what you would normally associate with the drum kit.
0: You're a musician. You're a poet. You're a performing recording artist, a mask maker, a storyteller. You're an educator. I have to ask you, how do you find time for all these? And, and of all those uh, labels, is there a favorite that, that you have? A favorite activity?
1: Well, the time question is is always a challenge. Uh, for me, my, my life is all about time and energy management and, and also learning over the years to say no once in a while. Um, I, I, in the early days, I said yes to everything because I had to. Uh, and you kind of get in the habit of saying yes and thinking that no is a dirty word. But I, I have learned to say no occasionally So that I can have some kind of ordinary life in between my work, Um, so that's all. It's just kind of approaching time in a different way, maybe. (laughs) Um, But I, but I, again, I'm grateful for that, and that's that's a problem you want to have. Sure. Um, With regard to the second part of your question, I, I really don't think any one thing is my favorite, and I think that's precisely why I ended up cobbling together a career out of all those different things, because it's really the variety uh, and the interdisciplinary inspiration of all those different things that make me happy and fulfilled as an artist. So I, I I. I suppose, if, I, I suppose, for simplicity's sake, it might be easier to just have one gig with, you know, one band and do the, do 200 dates a year, and that's all I would need to do. But I, honestly, I don't know if I'd be happy doing that. I really enjoy the the, the multi-dimensional, interdisciplinary wow. thing that that I do.
0: Is there a gig that stands out as either your favorite or the most? fun or uh, the most special that you've ever had in your lifetime career? Is there one gig that stands out that you'll never, ever forget?
1: One particular gig or a gig in the sense of playing with with a certain artist or ensemble?
0: Uh, Either one, but uh, just something that you'll never, first of all, you never imagined that you'd be able to do, and secondly, that you'll never forget.
1: Wow. Well, there's there's literally hundreds of unforgettable individual gigs that I could talk about. Um, one that pops into my head, because it was a, sort of the gig from hell, <laughs> was years ago playing with the legendary blues guitarist Reiner in his trio, Reiner and Das Combo, and we played an after-party for some dirt track racers out at the fairgrounds, and we got there and it was in this big, echoey, terrible sounding exhibition hall with terrible PA. The stage, somebody had spilled Coca-Cola all over the stage and it was covered with a blanket of flies, which I was swatting with one hand all night and playing with one hand. And then on top of that, this big 300-pound dirt track guy grabbed a hold of my wife on the dance floor and, and was flinging her about. in a a very precipitous manner. So I had to jump off the stage and go pull him off of her in the middle of the gig. So that's kind of (laughs) one that's memorable at the bottom end of the spectrum. At the top end, just off the top of my head, was playing for 12,000 people at the Telluride Festival uh, one year. And, And just being on that Beautiful stage looking out over that meadow with the snow-capped peaks in the background and an eagle soaring through the crystalline blue sky and realizing that there were 12,000 people sitting there listening to to us play. Um, And, you know, there's been hundreds in between, but those are two that stand out at either end of the, the spectrum. This is Fernando Lamas. I'd like to talk to David Steinberg, please. On
2: the next Fresh Air, Billy Crystal talks about his career in comedy. He turned 65 this year and has a new memoir called Still Foolin' Him.
1: The original title of this book was uh, Everything Hurts. (laughs) Join us for the next Fresh Air. ¶¶
0: That's fresh air tomorrow at 4 o'clock here on KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa. You're listening to Percussion Discussion with Jim Laveroni. I'll be with you here until 11 o'clock. And we are playing some great music from Will Clipman, percussionist from Arizona. Uh, His solo work and also with many accomplished artists. In that last set, we heard several great songs. Monsoon, Daybreak, Kona I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Will, but you will, uh, you will definitely correct me if I'm wrong. And either Pavane or Pavani. Um, but some great tunes, great tunes. He is a marvelous, marvelous percussionist. If you miss the beginning of the show, he has mastered over 100 percussion instruments, probably more than that by this time. And he's a master at all of them. And in this next section... We're going to talk about uh, some of the audiences that have been most receptive since he teaches on a broad spectrum. Uh, he teaches all the way from elementary school to people in prison, people in hospitals. And I was interested in finding out which audiences were most receptive to his uh, shows. He also mentioned at the beginning of the show that he heard vibrations as a young child from the tom. We're going to talk about how integral the Tom-Tom is and was to him. Also some mentors and teachers in his life, which we are always interested in with every musician. How'd they start? Who do they look up to? Who taught him? And I think you'll be interested to find that Will has quite an interesting background in that regard. So we'll get back to Will Clipman, percussionist from Tucson, Arizona, here on the new 91 KRCB-FM. Windsor, Santa Rosa. You've made presentations at elementary, middle, high schools, colleges, universities, adult prisons, juvenile detention facilities, senior centers, etc. Who, in your opinion, has been the most receptive audience and why?
1: Well, that's, that's a great question. Uh, again, I would say that I've had really, really intuitive and receptive audiences at all those different levels. Uh, Some of my most wonderful experiences have been with little kids who have just brought me to my knees and blown me away with the work that they've created in my programs. I also just completed a workshop, uh, a mass-making and poetry workshop along a Dia de los Muertos theme, and I had five people, very small group. All of them were older than me, which is pretty old. And, uh, and that was a completely transformational experience in a different way. So it, it, I, don't, I, I think what I do is, is ageless in the sense that audiences of all ages find something uh, to connect with in it. And, uh, and that's, that has spanned you know sort of you know the old saying 3 to 103 I've kind of had really transformational teaching experiences with students across that age spectrum
0: from your biography it sounds as if the tom tom was an integral an important ingredient in your decision to follow this path that you've chosen is it still an important part of your repertoire with a deep resonance and vibration.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's still all about the vibration for me, and I'm very, very me- meticulous about tuning my drums and selecting drums because of their timbre and their tonality. Uh, that first tom-tom I hit happened to be the ride tom on a, on a World War II vintage Slingerland Radio King drum kit with no metal on it because there was no metal available at that time for anything but the war effort and it had calfskin heads wooden rims and something about that drum just set me off kind of rearranged my molecular structure and i think i've always remembered that that feeling and i've always tried to approximate that in in the tuning and selection of of my drums now but i'm a i'm a real tom-tom guy and i love to incorporate the toms even on my drum kit in a, in kind of a polyrhythmic world music way along with the the golden triangle of the kick snare and hi-hat
0: did you have uh mentors and uh people that you looked up to as you were learning your craft and did you take any lessons
1: oh sure yeah i've had many many wonderful teachers my first teacher was a, a jazz drummer named phil wolfson uh, who went on tour in Europe and, like many jazz musicians, never came back. So I, I studied with him until he disappeared. <laughs> uh, and I've had I've studied with master African drummers, uh, Ab- Abdullah Aziz Ahmed in the in the Guinean Malinke tradition, and Cornelius Kwaku Ganyo in the Ghanaian Ewe tradition. Kind of deeply immersed myself in African drumming and folklore and dance and so on um but i you know i every time i hear another drummer i learn something whether it be something i want to emulate or something i want to avoid and uh and so i ha- i'm still very much a student
0: we are KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa. The New 91 with news, new music, and more. This is KRCB. Fabulous. Fabulous music here on KRCB-FM and percussion discussion. You're listening to an interview I did with Will Klipman, percussionist extraordinaire from Tucson, Arizona. I wanted to let you know that most of the cuts that I am playing tonight came from two CDs. The first is called ARC, and that stands for Ayala, Red House, and Klipman. The performers on this particular CD are Gabriel Ayala, Vince Redhouse, and Will Klipman, And the CD is called Sonoran Nights. Sonoran Nights. The second CD that I'm playing extensively is uh, the latest from Will Klipman, called Pathfinder. And that's all one word, and that also has um, some great percussion uh, cuts on it, as you can hear Will is also listed extensively on iTunes, as I found out, and downloaded some of the uh, other compilations that he has done over the years so will Clipman we're going to continue with our interview with will Clipman now, and in this next section, we talked a little bit about uh the importance of tuning his drums. He mentioned the importance of the tom tom and how he bought certain drums and used certain skins to get or elicit certain sounds, and we talked about the importance of tuning your drums um, correctly. We also talked a little bit about what this show is all about, about percussionists and drummers who are usually in the background of bands trying to bring them out to the forefront and whether or not he thought he was doing that simply by being a solo act or whether he was even interested in being the star, quote-unquote, of a show. In one section, we also talk about a quote from Hal Blaine, the famous drummer who I also interviewed on this show, and what Hal said that a typical drummer is, and whether or not Will actually agreed with that statement. And finally, we're going to talk about Will's favorite percussive instrument among all of the ones that he has mastered, among all of the ones that he has in his collection. So continuing now with the... A great interview with Will Clippman, percussionist from Arizona, here on Percussion Discussion. Thank you for joining me. Happy Thanksgiving as it winds down. And I think you can agree that this music is relaxing and beautiful. So I'm interested when you say that you're very much uh, in tune with your drums and you make sure that they're tuned. How do you do that? Do you do that by ear or do you do that by... Uh, some type of device, or how exactly do you do that? I would think that uh, a Jambi, uh obviously would be tuned differently than a Tom. and So how do you, is that all by ear, or how, or you've done it so long that, that you know what's going to be incorporated into the tune that you're developing?
1: Well, that's a great question. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole lot better than so. When did you start playing? No, but, um, yeah, well, you know, obviously the techniques are different from drum to drum. Um, there, There is a certain technique for each drum. Uh, the djembe tuning I learned from my djembe teachers, African drummers, and I, I always put my own skins on my own drums and tune them myself. So that's a very elaborate process, as you know, to prepare the skin and mount it and, mm-hmm. and so on. Involving a a very macrame-like system of of, uh, not weaving, if you will. Um, With a tom, you've got lugs, and it's a little more mechanical. But I always, um, I always on a tom-tom, I always go around in a star pattern uh, rather than around the rim in a circle, Mm -hmm. and I try to get the same tone at each lug. And then a nice fat tone in the center of the head, uh, and it, it's just kind of the voice of the drum. It's not a particular pitch. It's just the, that big, fat, round sound that you that the drum is wanting to make. Um, and and with the djembe, I go for you know that triad of the the nice fat bass tone in the middle, and the tone halfway out, and the slap at the edge, and just try not to go one knot too too far and break it before I stop tuning it. Um, So it's a combination of techniques that I've learned and and ear, you know, my own sense of what is a a pleasant uh, sound coming from the drum and also the natural voice of the drum and and being, you know, listening uh, for that and allowing each individual drum to speak in its own natural voice.
0: The idea behind uh, the show that I have on the radio is to bring, bring the drummers and percussionists to the forefront of the band instead of where they're normally put in the back of the band and, and holding the rhythm and the tempo and the timing. But as an independent musician, you've kind of done both, I guess. You've been in the back of a band and you've been now in the forefront and really as the, for lack of a better word, a star, right?
1: Well, I wouldn't call myself a star, but I do I do solo performances where I, it's just me and my drums on stage. So in that sense, I'm front and center, and the whole show is is on me uh, to make or break. Um, I've also been in the back, uh, poorly lit and obscured by the front line. Um, <laughs> I've been up on risers with tons of lights on me and smoke machines. Uh, you know, so I've sort of had all those experiences. Uh, I, 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 I really don't crave the limelight, and maybe in that sense I'm well-suited temperamentally to be a drummer. Uh, so being in the back and not being the focus of visual attention on stage doesn't bother me. I, as long as you can hear me, I'm happy. <laughs> um, but, but I've also noticed that in, in many of the ensembles that I end up having a longer-term relationship with, the other musicians tend to want to form a semicircle on stage uh, and and not have their backs to me. Uh, that may have to do with the nature of the music. It may have to do with the individual musicians and and them wanting to have that sort of uh, living room feel to mm-hmm. the music and the setup. Mm-hmm. But these days, I'm I'm very seldom, you know, in the back. Poorly lit, unseen, just banging away. I, I, I tend to end up more incorporated into the sonic field and the, and the visual field.
0: Is there a favorite? some of that I
1: may have to do with the fact that my some of my drums are really cool looking too? i oh, yeah, sure yeah. It's not me, you know. It's just <laughs> that they want to see these cool drums that I'm playing.
0: The great drummer Hal Blaine uh, said that. Uh, uh, drummers, as a rule, are show-offs, and they like to bang things and make a lot of noise. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Well, I, I'm not going to argue with Hal Blaine, but I, <laughs> for me, that's not true. I, Number one, I, I, I don't like to do solos. I will if I have to, and when I'm doing my solo Planet of Percussion show, the whole thing is an extended solo, if you will, but I'm, I'm much more of a groove player and I'm happy holding the heartbeat and guarding the groove and making the other musicians comfortable and making the song happen, uh, than I am, you know, showing off my own chops. And, and, and I also would say for me personally, I don't, I totally disagree with this notion that you bang on things as a percussionist. I I think of my playing as caressing the instruments and eliciting a sound from them with, with a loving touch, if you will, not to put too woo-woo a point on it. But I, I really don't enjoy pounding stuff and breaking sticks and breaking heads and seeing how loud and busy I can be. That's, that's just not fun for me.
0: So, on that same vein, is there a favorite percussive instrument that you play and seems to be a crowd favorite as well something that fits every tune and you use quite a bit over and over
1: Wow, are we recording this i got, I want to hear this again <laughs> this is a <laughs> we, great interview thank
0: we, you <laughs> we are we are, reco- yeah, we are recording it, it, and, and we are recording it and you're going to be on the air uh in probably November. uh, Wow, I
1: I have to get a recording of this somehow. But anyway, that was a perfect segue. And yes, I do have just such an instrument that I'm known for and that I love playing. And it's kind of become a signature sound on on recordings and also on stage. And that's the udu, the the ceramic drum that I play. Uh, I've got about seven of them. I have a a favorite at the moment that's kind of my touring voodoo, but it's a very subtle, expressive sound, and uh, I've kind of become known for that old voodoo voodoo that I do so well, to quote the old jazz standard. Uh, And I just love playing it. There's a lot of different playing techniques. I personally cradle... The drum against my solar plexus, so that I am completely at one with the vibration of it, and the sound is right, right in my ear. So I, I love that. If I, you know, if I could only do one thing as a drummer, I'd probably do that. I'm Mark Marin. Louis C.K. is a comedian and one of my oldest friends, and he stopped answering my emails. Our friendship faded away at some point. I had time when I was writing you emails, and you were ignored me. Really? Well, so have... in this
0: round, when yeah. you were trying to
1: get me to be on your podcast, part of me was going, f*** him. I don't, you know, if he doesn't want to be my friend, I'm not going to. Louis C.K. this week on WTF from PRX.
0: WTF. Here on KRCB-FM tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Be sure and join us. Well, you're listening to a wonderful interview and a wonderful smattering of music from Will Clipman, percussionist from Tucson, Arizona. And we're going to go right back to that interview. And in this next segment, we talked to uh, Will a little bit about his mask-making abilities, how he got into that how he was almost expelled from school as a, uh, believe, high school student, how language is well used. He uh, says in his uh, biography that language is well used. We're going to see a couple of examples of that. And he's also going to give advice to budding percussionists, drummers, and other musicians. We'll tell our listeners about the impromptu apprentice apprenticeship with Zarco Guerrero that evolved into your performance and workshop uh, where you integrate mask art, uh, mythopoetic storytelling, and world music.
1: Wow, you've really done your homework. Nobody ever asked me that. Well, well, Zarco is a genius. He's not only a a gifted mask maker and sculptor, but also a mu- world-class musician. And I, I have played music with him as well in his band Zoom, Zoom, Zoom with his Brazilian wife, Carmen de Novaes. But your question is about mask making, so let me address that. I was uh, He and I were on the faculty of a summer fine arts camp in the White Mountains here in Arizona back in 1985, And I was doing poetry and percussion and so on, and he was doing mask making. And I I had a free period in my schedule when he was doing his workshop. So I went across campus and looked in the window, and he was just starting his workshop. And he was asking for a volunteer to model for the plaster bandage life cast of the mask and I burst into the room and volunteered to model and he was a little taken aback that he put me on the table and proceeded to do his lecture demonstration on, on my face. So I kind of learned that technique from the inside out and, and I just fell in love with it. And then I saw his masks and thought, wow, this is amazing stuff. And I, you know, I'm not in his league as a mask maker by any means, but I was able to adopt his Basic techniques and materials, and kind of tailored them to my own specific needs, and and that gave me a vehicle to develop my myths and masks uh, performance, which is, as you noted, is my original mask art and mythopoetic storytelling and world music, uh, and that's been really popular as a as a residency and a weekend retreat and a performance and a workshop. So I'm. You know, really grateful to Zarco for sharing that with me these many years ago and, and kind of cutting me loose to do my own thing with it.
0: So when you're not performing, Will, what music do you listen to? Who are your favorite artists?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> my, If you saw my CD collection, you'd think it belonged to 10 different people. My, my tastes are very eclectic. Uh, for dinner... Music, you know, I like to listen to Bill Evans or Tord Gustafson or Miles Davis or Lorena McKennett or, you know, kind of really mellow, melodic stuff that's kind of in the jazz and world music vein. Uh, but, you know, I, I might put on Led Zeppelin four, you know, in the middle of the day. Uh, so I, I really... I have very very eclectic tastes, and um, you know I, I could give you a long long list of contemporary musicians that I admire and, and listen to for entertainment. Um, but you know it's uh, it we it, it kind of goes from Sting to Weather Report to Bruce Coburn to you know I mean it's just all over the map really.
0: I'm curious as to the indication in your biography that you were nearly expelled from your high school due to Oh the, man due to the controversial <laughs> content of your high school library magazine. Care to indulge our listening audience curiosity as to the content of this?
1: Yeah. Uh I, I won't say anything that wouldn't be appropriate on air, but uh, the magazine was called Motif and I was the, the poetry editor. And um, that was during Vietnam and all the things that were happening in our culture at that time. So there was a, you know, everybody was really, really sensitive to anti- any sort of anti-war sentiments, any references to Woodstock or drugs or, or sex. And uh, we made sure that there was plenty of all of that in the magazine, because that's what we were concerned with. Um, And I don't think any of it was, you know, it would be laughably mild by today's standards. But at that time, you know, the word breasts or the word outhouse or the word marijuana, you know, uh, or the word peace uh, got people in trouble and were not... Acceptable in a high school literary magazine, so you know that's the sort of thing that that we're dealing with. Um, but you have to put it in context of the '60s and you know the the time that we were doing it in.
0: You served as the poetry therapist at the Kino Psychiatric Hospital in Tucson, as well as the creative writing instructor in Arizona State Prison. You indicate that language well-used can transform, heal, inspire, and change the world in unpredictably positive ways. Do you have a specific example of how this manifested itself?
1: Wow, there again, there's hundreds in both of those settings. Uh, I can remember one, uh, you know, just things that are are flashing into my mind as we talk, one in in the psychiatric hospital where there was a Uh, an extremely volatile, agitated um, young woman. I I don't know what her diagnosis was, but she was constantly hearing and talking to voices and had to be heavily medicated just to get through the day and so on and so forth. And uh, for whatever reason, she would come into my workshop and just immediately calm down and become lucid and, and sociable and and wrote, you know, I wrote these amazing sort of epic poems and I, I think she was able to, you know, have a have a creative dialogue with the voices in her head in that form in a way that allowed her to be in a room with other people and not just be bouncing off the walls and, and babbling and, you know, being dangerous to herself and others. So that, that's one of many, many, many examples from that setting that pop into my head as, you know, having a profoundly transformative effect on a person. Um, in the prison setting, uh, another one, you know, again, there's hundreds. I mean, I did that for 16 years Um, But uh, one workshop I did was in maximum security at the prison in Florence, which is a really scary place, not somewhere you want to end up. And I remember walking onto the yard for my workshop one Saturday about midday, and it's the blazing Arizona sun and this huge, you know, nightmarish system of metal doors had just slammed shut behind me, and I'm standing in the yard by myself, and it's just eerily quiet, and there's nothing going on, which is not typical, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy from my workshop comes running toward me, and he's just livid, his face is red, and I can see that he's just beside himself, and I don't know if he's going to tackle me or stab me or, or what, And he just came up to me, and and he was just incensed about uh, some lockdown thing that was going on, and they weren't going to let him go to the workshop. And he and I kind of stood in the middle of the yard with all these armed guards on the walls and in the towers, you know, looking down at us, deciding whether or not it was time to pull the trigger. And, uh, And I just sort of, you know... you. Using the relationship that we had established in the workshop as writers, I kind of talked him down from this very precipitous edge that he was on, and avoided what could have been a a lethal, you know, confrontation. Uh, and I attribute that to you know to the power of language and the fact that he he and I had this this bond that you know, I was able to use to get a handle on this situation. So, you know, but there's hundreds of them. I mean, those are just two.
0: As we kind of wrap up our interview, do you have any budding advice or advice for budding musicians?
1: Yeah. Be a good listener. (laughs) Um, To me, being a good listener is at least as important as being a, a good player. Um, it, you know, you can have all the chops in the world, but if you can't shut up and let somebody else have a turn, you're not going to have much of a career. Um, and it's all, I, I just think it's in the nature of music to be a good listener and really make silence the, the you know, the fourth member of the quartet, so to speak. Uh, so that would be my advice. Also, you know, be passionate. Be fearless. Uh, you know, at the beginning, you say yes to everything, and then later on, learn to say no once in a while. And uh, you know, if you do, if you are lucky enough to experience some success, stay humble and remember why you started doing it in the first place. You know, just because you love love that vibration.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps up another evening of percussion discussion. My thanks to Will Clipman, percussionist from Tucson, Arizona, for a fabulous, fabulous interview, and a special thank you to Bob Rasou, my good friend from Santa Rosa and part-time Arizonian, and uh, thank him for his introduction via email to Will so that Will and I could hook up and do this interview and uh, just leave you with a couple of comments. Um, if you have comments on the new 91 KRCB FM, our email is listener at krcb.org. We'd love to hear from you. We have a brand new format with things changed during the day and new times at night and several new shows. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, via email, and uh, specifically this show. If you like this show and things like it, uh, I'd love to hear from you as well. And remember, if you've got something important you want to say, you're never going to find a superior way. You've got to say it with percussion. End of discussion. The Art of the Song is next at 11 o'clock here on KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa.
3: It's all tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a damn end Well, it's all right Even if the sea are wrong. Somewhere down the road when somebody plays At the end of the line the Purple Haze Well it's alright Even when food comes to show Glad to be here, happy to feel that At the end of the, line, the line. it don't matter if you're by my side At the and I'm satisfied Well, it's all
0: KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa. The New 91, with news, new music, and more. This is KRCB 91.1 and 90.9 FM, online anytime at krcb.org. You can also find us on Comcast Channel 961. Stay tuned for The Art of the Song at 11 p.m.